Good morning. Welcome. Especially if it's your first time here, we are so glad you could join us. If you're just visiting today, welcome. We are so, so grateful to be here. What a, what a beautiful day it is today to gather together as both services gather together, have some fun, be able to celebrate. If you're new and you don't know, where it's a special service today. We're gathering both services together at once. We're having a little party afterwards with some food and some games for kids. There's a, a massive slide outside and bounce a house. There's going to be an ice cream truck pulling up later with all the free ice cream and lots of food and snacks, desserts, and just hang out time. There'll be a cornhole tournament here. There's lots of fun going on. Um, my five-year-old, who just turned six today, thinks that about 300 people came to his birthday party. Um, so if you, if you see little Caleb running around, the little kid with the bright blue glasses, as cute as can be, uh, you can wish him a happy birthday. Um, and uh, we are excited for today. And so um, if you're relatively new here, maybe one or two times, maybe it's your, your first time, um, just our heart here at Northview is, is that we increasingly, that we're, we're living and loving like Jesus. That's what we're about as a community, as a church, that we're convinced that Jesus' call to follow him, it's not some just set of beliefs, it's not just something that we believe with our heads or with our minds, but it's actually a command, it's a, it's a calling to become like Christ to apprentice after him, that our lives would increasingly reflect his life, that we would grow in living the way that he lives and, and loving the way that he loves, that we would adopt his way of thinking, that we would increasingly adopt his way of being, and that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to, again, to, to, to experience his life and his power moving in and through our lives. And that the more that we follow Jesus... The, the more that, that when people encounter us, increasingly they should be getting a really good idea of what Jesus is like as a result of being around us. That's our calling as believers is to increasingly live in love like Jesus. And that there's nothing that's outside that, that, that the kingdom of God shouldn't be touching in our lives. Every single aspect of our life should be transformed by Jesus. From yes, how we pray and how we worship, read the Bible but also how, how, how we maybe sing and how we worship, but how we spend our time and how we spend our money how we care for our neighbors and care for the poor and how we care for the hurting, how we engage in communication with me in, in person with strangers or on social media. Every single aspect of our life should be conformed and transformed by the reality of Jesus. And the way that we listen to music, the way we watch TV, the way we vote, the way our politics are, the way we think about sex or anything else is conformed and transformed by the way of Jesus. Amen? That's our heart, to live and love more like Jesus. And so as a church, we've been in a series on prayer. And last week, we looked at the incredible revelation in Scripture that God is a God who is near, not distant. He's not a blimp-like God out there, but He is right here with us. And, and today, I want for us to look at the amazing reality that God isn't just near, but He created us to dwell with Him. That the God of the universe doesn't just want us to pray, but he wants us to dwell with him. Have you ever thought about that? The God of the universe wants to be with us. His longing is to be with us. And not just to visit every once in a while or on Sunday mornings or maybe in a quiet time in the morning, but to dwell, to remain. Now, be honest, how many of you guys have ever had a, um, a, a house guest that overstayed their welcome, that maybe dwelled a little too long, right? Uh, if they're here in the room, please don't look at them right now. Um, especially if it's your spouse, that would be weird. Um, but, you know, a, a few years back, we had a, a couple that asked to stay the night because uh, they were transitioning. We said, sure. And then they stayed a second night, like, that's okay. A third night, a fourth night, which turned into five. Turned into a week, and then a few more. And we're like, this is getting a little weird. This wasn't what we agreed to. Um, and then it came two weeks and three weeks and four weeks, and it kept getting more and more awkward. And, and, and finally, um, they, they, they got the hint and, and realized it was, it was time to head on. 
But sometimes it's not just staying the night. It can even just being there. I mean, you ever had someone, you know, show up for a lunch and then late afternoon, they're still there. And you're like, this was kind of my mind. This was like a lunch meeting. And then we have plans as a family. You're talking to your spouse. You're like, okay, do we make them dinner? What do we do? Do we ask them to go? Right? It's very easy to overstay the welcoming that people have. And I get that because uh, I can often overstay welcomes. Uh, as a personality, I can be, the word that's often used to describe me is a little intense. Um, a little bit of James goes a long way is the way it's been described. Uh, and so I, I tend to ask really deep questions and go really far, really fast with people. And it's awesome in, in spurts, awesome in small doses, but larger doses can be a little overwhelming for many. And so it's easy for me to overstay my welcome. Like, now for Sarah, my amazing wife, I've never ever once heard someone ever say about her, man, I had too much. Like that was enough. It's time for her to go. Uh, for me, a whole different story. Um, praise God, the Lord has given her an incredible measure of grace to be able to dwell with me day in and day out. Um, but let's also just be honest. I mean, how many of you think that everyone wants to dwell with you permanently as well? Um, we're all kind of a little bit of annoying, but, um, but, but the, the crazy thing with this, though, is that God created us to dwell with us. That's what he wants. It's his deepest longing is to dwell with us. I mean, right from the beginning, in fact, even before the beginning of time, before anything existed, before time and space, God existed in three persons. We talk about this a lot, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they had this perfect relationship of life and joy and delight. It was perfection of unity, this triune fellowship of life and love and togetherness. And it was so beautiful. And at some point in eternity past, they got together and they said, we want to multiply this. We want to take what we have with one another and we want to pour it into creation and take our life and our love and multiply it into the world. And so they created humanity. They created us. And the scriptures tells us that when they created us in the garden, God says that it was very good. It was beautiful. It was, it was perfect. And at that point, God dwelled with humanity, with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 puts it this way. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. This is in the garden. As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that passage. This is the way it was supposed to be. God created mankind for us to dwell with him in the garden. And literally face to face as God is there with us, as we're with one another. That's the way it was intended to be. God created us to dwell with him. That's his longing. It's his desire. I mean, if you've ever felt a hole in your heart, like an ache that can't be met, it's because this is what we were created for. Right? We were created to experience life and beauty and wonder in the fellowship and presence of God. If, if we're not experiencing that to its fullness, which none of us are to its fullness, there will forever be an ache and a longing because that is what we were literally created for as humanity. To know God and to love one another. But then we screwed it up as humanity. Rather than enjoy God and submit to his ways and to his wisdom, humanity decided for themselves that they wanted to determine what was right and wrong. That they weren't willing to listen to God's ideas of what is good, but they wanted to choose what was right and evil or right and wrong or good and evil. They thought they knew better than God did, and so mankind lost their position of nearness with God. Yet instead of giving up on us, God begins the process of restoration, redemption, to restore us back into fellowship with him right away. Because he loves us. He could have just started all over again and destroyed us and wiped us out, but instead he said, no, I want to redeem and I want to restore. 
So God pursues his people even through our sin and our brokenness and our hard-heartedness and pride. He just keeps pursuing. The rest of the biblical story is God pursuing his people. Eventually, he, he calls a man named Moses to follow him. And Moses, he calls to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land to establish them as his people. And, and after delivering them from, from out of slavery in Egypt, God meets with his people in the wilderness. And in the book of Exodus, he gives them instructions to build a tabernacle, this temple, this place where God would physically dwell with them on earth, a holy place for them to dwell in. And it says this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. God says, have them construct a sanctuary. This is a tabernacle. So that I, the reason, so that I may dwell among them. That's God's longing. To dwell with his people. That's God's heart. It's repeated over and over and over again in Scripture. But just a chapter later, God is talking about the purpose of the tabernacle as a dwelling place. And he says it this way in Exodus 29, verse 45. He says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt. And here it is. Why did he bring them out of Egypt? So that I might dwell among them. For I am the Lord, their God. He calls them out of slavery. Why? So he can dwell with them. That's his longing, to be with his people. And it's Moses' longing as well. As he gets to know God, he would regularly meet with God, even close, like, a, like face-to-face. And it, it wasn't just a one-way relationship, but God pursuing. But those who knew God back then desperately longed to be with him. In fact, there's this crazy story in the book of Exodus where, where God gets furious with the Israelites because they've gone and, and made these golden statues and they've worshipped idols and they're turning away from God. And, and, and God had promised to take them out of slavery and take them to the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was paradise that he called them to. But because they turn away from him and made these idols, God is furious. And here's what God says in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Get going. You and the people you brought up from the land. I like it. He says to Moses, You and your people, right? No longer mine. Go up to land I swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I told them that I will give them this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 3. He says, go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you are stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. This is crazy. God is so angry with the Israelites that he might destroy them if he's near them, but yet he loves them so much that he says, I will still give you paradise. I will still give you the promised land, but I won't be going with you. It'll be the promised land without me. See, that's telling because that's the people's longing. They've been slaves for 400 years. This is their dream. They've known them for, for centuries that one day the promised land would be theirs and God offers it to them. Their greatest desire being handed to them, their inheritance, the promises, paradise, milk and honey, often all of their dreams fulfilled, being given to them by God, but not with God's presence. Could you imagine? I'm sure there'd be some of the people in the midst of it would say, cool, see you when we see you, God. Right? Let's go get us some milk and honey. Let's go, guys. Who's with me? And they just start walking immediately. I mean, it's basically the story of the prodigal son. Right, The prodigal son turns to his wealthy father and says, I don't care about being with you. All I want, give me my inheritance. 
And I'm off to live out my desires and my dreams. I don't need you. I just want my desires and my dreams. Give me my inheritance now. That's basically just a modern telling of this story. The prodigal didn't care about being with the father. He just wanted his milk and honey, right? He just wanted his promised land. But just a couple verses later, look at Moses' response. In chapter 33, verse 15, it says, Then Moses said, God, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. We don't want it if you're not there. Moses says, I'd rather suffer in the desert with you, God, than be in paradise without you. He desired God's presence more than he desired any of his dreams to be fulfilled. He'd rather have suffering and hardship with God than ease and riches without him. And let's just be honest again. How many of us are often more interested in our own dreams being fulfilled than actually being with God? How often do we sacrifice our fellowship with Him in order to achieve and, and reach out to get those things we so deeply desire that we just put them in the back corner and, and stick them in the back or on the back burner and forget about for seasons while we pursue the things we want more than anything else? Maybe it's a promotion at work. Maybe it's a bigger house. Or if you're like us and you enter the market a couple years too late, maybe it's just getting any kind of house. Maybe it's sexual fulfillment that you're pursuing. And you're just, man, I need that. Maybe it's having kids. Maybe it's just having fun. Finding a spouse. But no, Moses knew that nothing compared to dwelling with God. Do we crave God's presence like that? Or do we crave the stuff we want? Or, or like King David, amazingly, King David often speaks of his desire to dwell with God as well. He even, in the midst of his sinfulness and his rebellion and his brokenness, he always comes back to being in God's presence and dwelling with him. The famous 23rd Psalm of the Shepherd ends with the final lines of the summary in 23.6 says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. For David, there is no greater promise. Or Psalm 63, David says it this way. He says, Though we are overwhelmed by our sins, Lord, you forgive them all. Here it is. What joy for those, God, that you choose to bring near to you, to dwell with you. Those who live in your holy courts, in your presence. I love that. King David is saying again, we are overwhelmed by our sinfulness. But God, you've forgiven it all. And what an amazing privilege it is for those who get to dwell with you. And David's not joking. He is truly sorrowful for his sins. Remember, David is a murderer, right? He's an adulterer. He's a deceiver. He's a, a deadbeat dad or even worse than that. In fact, he is controlled by lust for so much of his life. Yet God forgives him in the midst of his brokenness and pain. And God longs to be with a broken sinner like that. God brings David near. And there's nothing more that David wanted more than God's presence. At least on his better days, right? Some other days, there's obviously some other things he wanted a little bit more. Another psalmist describes it this way in Psalm 84, verse 1. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. Oh, I love that. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. So beautiful. 
Amen? But from this point on, it only gets better. You see, God's plans weren't over here at this point. They were just beginning to be fulfilled. They they were just getting started. You see, the tabernacle that he created in the wilderness, that, that was just a temporary place for God to dwell physically. The way it was not what he ultimately wanted, which was to fully dwell with the people like he did in the garden. And because of his desire to dwell with us is so great, he came to dwell with us physically. John puts it this way, referring to Jesus' coming in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus comes and dwells with us physically. And that word dwell there, the meaning for it literally means he set his tent among us. He tabernacled right in our midst. He moved in with us is what it's saying. It's similar language to tabernacle, that Jesus comes and dwells with his people, that this is God's longing to be with us. But even Jesus physically dwelling with the disciples and with the people was not God's long-term plan. He was limited as a human. He was not available to all. And so Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, he tells them, it is better for you that I go and I send my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit being with you is me better, is better than me standing here right next to you. And so Jesus sends his Holy Spirit upon his departure. And the Spirit comes to dwell among all Christians. And Scripture now says that we are all now temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the very dwelling place of God. It is now dwelling with us. Romans 8 puts it this way so beautifully. In chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Amen? This is what God is wanting to restore since the beginning of creation. That he would dwell with us, every single one of us. And this is where we are at today. We, we, God dwells with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. All of Jesus is available to us through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to empower us to love like Jesus and to live like Jesus, to commune with Jesus, to know him, to turn away from disordered desires and brokenness and painful things, to experience his abundant life because now God dwells with us for those that want to dwell with him. But we must, pre- we must pursue him. We must reorder our lives in such a way that it spends time with him, that we seek him out not just passively. And it doesn't end there, though. Because the Bible tells us that all of this is but a shadow of what God's ultimate longing is, to restore all things fully to the way they were in the garden, to truly dwell with us face to face. And the book of Revelation shows us God's ultimate longing of God's intention for all of creation. And by all, I mean literally all. All of history, all of the story, everything of history of time and space exists for the sake of this purpose. All the scripture points to this. And he shows us it in Revelation chapter 21. When he gives us the picture of heaven coming down to earth. It says this in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place. Another way to translate it, His tabernacle is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. That's it. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is it. 
It's the full restoration of all things that God has intended, that God will be able to finally fully dwell with his people face to face once again for all of eternity. The plans of creation are fulfilled in this garden city from the garden of Genesis to the garden city of Revelation. In fact, early in 1 Corinthians, Paul had said, you know, that now we see God as through a mirror dimly, but then we will see him face to face. And this is God's longing to fully, fully dwell with us. And in fact, in Revelation 22, in the final chapter, one of the final verses in verse 4, it says this, and they will see his face. That's it. We've reunited with God just like back in Genesis. This is God's longing for us. Eden is restored. God's plan to dwell with us is complete. Everything God intended with man is ready for eternity. Why? Why does God spend thousands of years, all of history, pursuing this bizarre plan to restore a relationship with people who don't even like him? Why does he care about dwelling with us? We'll never fully know the answer to that question, but what we know is he longs to dwell with us. He created us for fellowship, for intimacy, for relationship. We would know him and we would know one another. It's our reason for existing. That God wants to dwell with them. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with you. It's the very heartbeat of God us to dwell with him now and for all of eternity. And that's what prayer is all about in the series on prayer. It's why we pray. Not just to get stuff, not just to fix our problems. I mean, he's a good God and he loves to help us out and get us out of jams and, and give us good things because he's a good God. But every time we pray for one struggle, even if the Lord removes it because of the broken world we live in, the next struggle is just right around the corner, Right? Ever been in prayer times where you're praying for one person, like, woohoo, and then the next week it's another one, right? It's just another hit. It's not, it can get discouraging, but the reality is this is a broken world. And yes, God loves us and he meets us, but that's not why we pray just to get stuff. God isn't some divine butler or some cosmic vending machine that exists purely to give us the stuff we want or just to fix our problems. We pray and we read his word and we spend time with him because this God is amazing. And we were created for fellowship with God. We get to know him, to be with him, to understand him. And for him to empower us to, as we speak to him, as we engage in the world, as we hear from him, to experience the abundant life that he's called us to, to sustain us when we're tired, to meet us in this place of emptiness. And this longing of God for us to know him and not just to know about him, for us to be like Moses, not be like the Israelites. You see, the Israelites were satisfied just for a, a secondhand relationship with God. They were happy just to hear what Moses' experience with God was like. They were more interested in their own dreams being fulfilled than actually pursuing God's presence. And today for us, it's so easy to get caught up in that cycle of settling for just hearing other people talk about experiences with God instead of taking the time to be with Him and seek His face prayer and time with him throughout the day. It's so tempting today for us just to try and find modern day Moseses through podcasts or, or books or through a preacher, but we cannot settle for reading a book about someone who spent time with Jesus. We can't settle for listening to a preacher describe how amazing it is to be with Jesus. 
We can't settle for, for selfies with Moses and say, hey, this guy spent time with God. Check this out. I'm close to him. But so many of us, we seem to, in those times of difficulty, we just kind of settle for that. But God wants all of us to know him, to experience him, to spend our lives with him, and not just a quiet time in the morning, but to dwell with him throughout the day. And so this is why we pray, to spend time with God. So whether you've been a Christian for decades or only for days, or if you're just curious, you're here, you're not even a follower of Jesus, but you've heard things about this Jesus guy, God wants every one of us to experience his abundant life. So if you've been following Jesus for years, or if you're just beginning, a question for you is that are you experiencing, are you experiencing life with God as a normal reality throughout your days? Experiencing life with dwell with him. If so, amen. Keep going. Keep leading the way. But if not, my prayer today is that a holy discontent would rise within you to recognize that we were not created to run a rat race. We were not created just to acquire as much as we possibly can. The American dream is not the dream of the gospel. We were created to dwell with God. Amen. He stands at the door and he knocks. Check this out. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's a famous verse. Look, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. Have you ever heard this passage quoted before? And when you do, who do we often think in our mind he's talking to? He's talking to non Christians. I mean, he's knocking and they need to open up the door. Right? That's what makes sense. It's an evangelistic message. But actually, that's not who he's talking to. Go back and read the chapter. He's speaking to the church of Laodicea. Jesus is not speaking to unbelievers, he's speaking to followers of Jesus. He's speaking to Christians, the believers in the church. And he's telling them, he's saying, I want to spend time with you but I'm stuck outside. You've closed the door. He says, I want to come in and eat with you and share a meal and be your friend. He says, I'm knocking, let me in. And that is a message to the church, to the Christians of Laodicea. I want to dwell with you. I want to experience life with you. I literally, he says, I want to share a meal and be your friend. The God of the universe, speaking to fellow believers. Yet often we get so busy, if we get enamored with what the world has to offer, and we just get stuck in patterns of sin or indifference. And Jesus says, but I'm knocking. So this morning, can we hear the tap? Can we hear him knocking? Not just those who aren't followers of Jesus, but for us that have followed him for days or decades, do we hear that knock? Let me in. I want to spend time with you. I want to dwell with you. Amen? I want to finish with one of my favorite psalms. We're going to take a few minutes as we finish things up. Um, <clears throat> this one's an amazing psalm, and I find it so re relevant for today because it's written by Asaph, and it follows his journey of kind of his anger with God as he wrestles with him. But Asaph, for those that don't know, is basically the chief worshiper of the temple. 
He was appointed by David as the chief minister over the ark of God's covenant, or the ark of the presence, right? The ark, where God's presence fully dwelled. Asaph was appointed by David as the chief minister over the ark and in charge of worship duties. So this guy's literal job is to dwell in the temple. This is his job, to dwell in the temple, not just anywhere, but literally to oversee the ark of God's presence and to lead the people in worship and in readings from the law of God's word. Right? That's this guy's full-time job. And he's the chief of them, the most honored of all of them. No one alive at that time, from my understanding, had a closer place to the presence of God than Asaph. Maybe of all time. That's literally his job. And he begins Psalm 73 and he says this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Awesome. This will be a really uplifting psalm, I'm sure. Right? So it starts off great. But verse 2, next verse takes a big turn. Asaph says, but as for me, I have almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. What? Asaph is about to be open about his anger towards God. He's saying, I basically almost completely walked away from God. He says, I was almost gone. Again, remember, this is the chief minister of the ark. Literally lived in the presence of God, read his words and sang his songs all day long and led people towards it. And he says, I almost threw it all away. Why? Next verse. Verse three, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. So he got angry at seeing evil prosper, seeing wicked people healthy, injustice not being punished. He goes on, verse, verse 4, he says, They, that being the wicked, seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, they, they don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace. They clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. He says the wealthy and the powerful are some of the most wicked and arrogant people around. They don't seem to struggle. He tells God, that's not fair. And he's saying, I don't want to serve a God that allows that. The God I want to serve would never let that happen. Has anyone ever felt that way? How could wicked people be so prosperous and, and be so healthy and live such long lives while people, if you follow the journey, like my father, die a horrific death way too early? Or like, well, Steve Doton, hello, Steve, if you're watching right now, one of the most amazing men of God I've ever known and deeply beloved by everyone in this community sits with suffering after suffering after suffering and God, how could you allow this? Asaph asks. He's screaming, how could a loving God allow this to happen? And he continues, verse 12. Look at these wicked people, he says, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. And he's saying, God, how can you allow this? This is why this man basically forsakes his faith and turns away from God. He's so mad about this. That he's ready to give it all up. God doesn't fit in his box. Asaph feels as though God has failed him and that God isn't listening. Almost like back with Adam and Eve trying to determine for themselves what is right and what is good. 13, he says, look at the honesty here. Remember, this is a song that they would sing. They've sang hundreds of millions of times. The song has been sung as worship. This is a worship song for the people to sing to remember this story. This isn't just hidden somewhere in Scripture. Asaph, the chief minister, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? 
Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. He says, I've wasted my life following you, God. He was so mad about this. He's ready to turn. He says, it doesn't seem to make a single bit of difference in following you, God. What difference does it make? What benefit has serving you made in my life, he says. But before he walks away for good, verse 16, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task that is, he says. He couldn't figure it out. No logic would explain it. But then it all comes full circle. Next verse. Then, at long last, I went into your sanctuary, O God. Remember, he, he lives in the sanctuary. This is different. He's seeing God in the midst of his presence. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. So what does he finally do? He goes and he prays and he seeks the Lord. Not just following his own feelings, the way he saw it, and his own injustice, and perceived failures of God. And he gets God's perspective. And he goes on to say, the wicked will perish. All of those prospering is just temporary. And he says, it was all so confusing until I entered your presence, Jesus. Where he begins to see things with God's eyes and things begin to make sense. And then he says this in verse 21. Then I realized my heart was so bitter. I was all torn up inside. And this is the chief minister saying, I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a wild beast to you, like an animal to you, God. I love that honesty. He began to look inside and just says, my bitterness and my anger, a feeling that I know what's best, it's so torn me up. I was as stupid and foolish as like a wild beast in front of you. That's how ridiculous I was. I was just so angry and filled with rage and, 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 and frustration and, and turning away from you, Lord. I'm ashamed of who I was. And then he gets it in verse 23. He says, yet I still belong to you. You, God, hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Here is verse 25. You may have heard this. Whom have I in heaven but you? But did you ever know the context if you've heard that verse? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. So good. So good. This brute beast of emotions and anger finally fixes his eyes back on Jesus. God. And it all comes down to the final verse, one of my favorite passages. Right here, verse 28. Last verse. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. So good. But as for me, how good it is to dwell with God. Even amidst the questions and the confusions and the lack of answers and feeling that God is unjust in certain ways, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. How good it is to be near God. Because that's what we were created for as humanity. Amen? So is there anyone here that's wrestling with their faith? Amen. <laughs> anyone here that's identifies with Asaph, 
who's barely holding on to God in some way? Is there anyone with maybe the easy answers of childhood faith have proven wanting? Or maybe a, a transactional faith, which was a message of just avoid sin and, and say this prayer and you'll go to the good place rather than a bad place. Maybe where that, where that message is no longer compelling or doesn't scare you enough or feels like it's, it's not carrying the weight in the season of life. Maybe you're tired of hypocrisy that you've seen in Christians or maybe you're turned off by the injustices of the world or by politics of believers. Maybe you've been deconstructing your faith for a while, and as you look around, you're struggling to find any pieces worth putting back together. Like Asaph, you're just saying, it just doesn't make sense. I try to make sense of it, and I can't. Maybe you grew up as a Christian, but the way of Jesus became less attractive over time because you recognized it really wasn't about Jesus at all. It was just stuff. Maybe the desires of the world became more attractive than Jesus. Whether it be pornography or alcohol abuse or anger or bitterness or just sexual fulfillment. Some of us may be holding on to pains that were done to us or just broken patterns and sinfulness and just bad decisions we keep making over and over and over again because we're convinced for some reason these things that we're sacrificing for, somehow that lifestyle will give us the joy that we're ultimately desiring or somehow pursuing health or pursuing wealth or pursuing power will give us those things we so deeply long for, but we don't even, and we won't admit it in the moment, but we recognize that they're just counterfeits. That in pursuing those things, and the reality is it's like binging on a bag of candy or something. You just feel empty and gross and disgusted afterwards. Because that's not what we were created for. Yet the most loving and gentle and caring being in the universe wants to dwell with you. He created you to dwell with you. And maybe all the parts don't make sense. If you've been walking away from God, you're like, I don't like that, I don't like that, and nothing makes sense. Hold on to this. The God of the universe created you to be with you, to love you, that you would experience his love in his life. And when everything else doesn't make sense, hold on to that reality. He can fill in all the gaps and all the details at some later point, but don't throw him away. Don't throw that idea away. Don't be like Asaph and just say, ah, it doesn't make sense in my head. Therefore, it's all garbage because none of this makes sense. And I see those people doing that and those people doing that. And that makes me think that none of it's real. No, God is real and he's here with us and he wants to dwell with us. Amen. And right now he's here. At this moment, he's knocking. He's saying, let me in. I want to give you my life. I want to experience my love. Yeah, I know you've been hurt. But he's knocking. He said, just, just let me come in for a meal. You don't have to understand all the details. You can have questions. Just let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to spend some time with you. If you're at that place today, maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you just pursuing your own ways for days or decades. He's knocking right now and he's saying, let me in again. If you're feeling your, everything you grew up knowing, it's just garbage. It just doesn't seem to answer your problems for today. He's right here. He's saying, let me in. If that's you and you're hearing that knock, would you pray with me right now? Jesus.
May we hear your knock, Lord. May we hear your voice this morning. For those who are weary, for those who have wandered, for those who are maybe right at the cusp, Jesus, may they hear your Spirit speak to them right now. And may they open the door. That's you. Say, Jesus, right now I, I recognize I'm a mess. I recognize the things of this world, my disordered desires, they, they're just too attractive in the moment. The things I'm pursuing I know aren't of you, but it's what I hold on to in this moment. And so Jesus, I, I, I don't know how to do this, but I want to offer those and surrender those things to you, and I want to let you in. Say, Jesus, I don't even know how. I don't know what it means. I just want to let you in, Lord. I want to experience your life. I want to turn away from the brokenness and the pain and experience life with you. Jesus, maybe I knew you years ago or decades ago, but Lord, it's, it's gone astray. And Lord, I want to come back to your presence. I recognize that ache in my heart and I need you again, Lord. I'm scared to even say it because I've tried so many times, but Lord, I know you're real. Oh, Jesus. I want to give my life to you today. Oh, Jesus. Speak now, Father. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today, and we've been following Jesus for decades, Maybe, maybe you're, you're a mature Christian here this morning. The message doesn't change from other people that have fallen away. The message is the same. It doesn't make a difference. The message is saying God wants to dwell with you. Asaph literally lived in the temple of God. His full-time job was singing worship songs and reading the Bible and literally dwelling next to God's presence. Yet even Asaph missed God. Literally living in the temple. Sings songs about him all day. He was the most respected, revered, honored of them all. And even he missed God right in the midst of his presence. He had to intentionally pursue him. He had to seek him out. He had to acknowledge his foolishness, his selfishness. And to me, Asaph shows that going to church isn't enough. Singing songs isn't enough. Even reading our Bibles isn't what it's all about. They can turn into just words on a page or a job to complete or just going through the motions or checking off a box. Asaph had to pursue God with his whole heart to seek him out. Like Jesus said, he had to invite him in for a meal, to seek his face, to know his thoughts, to take his troubles to God, to meet with him and not just go through the motions. If you've been married for any length of time, you know it's so easy for a marriage just to turn into a couple who is roommates that just happen to be married to each other and just go through the motions day in and day out. And so many who are followers of Christ, even mature ones, that's what our relationship with God looks like. Going through the motions, trying not to sin, avoiding stuff, but not experiencing life and fellowship with Him. But He didn't create us just for us to exist with Him. He created us to dwell with Him. So Christians, even priests like Asaph, 
We can go through the motions, but that's not what God desires. And so this morning, as we finish, I want to pray that our hearts would turn towards Him. And you're all, maybe many of you are already there, and amen, keep leading the way. But for those who are at that place and can identify with Asaph, and you're like, yeah, it feels like a lot of motions these days. It feels like just checking the box. I feel kind of like I'm married to someone, but just roommates. Maybe even less than that. Maybe even far away. Just pray and say, Jesus, I want what you've called us for. I want to pursue you. I want to reorder my life towards you. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, you can come forward. Oh, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the, including this horrific story of Asaph in your worship songbook that we could not just know existed, but you put it front and center, Lord, for us to sing out the reality that even those who are leaders in your midst, who are song leaders and worship leaders and dwell in your presence, that even we can lose sight of it all. And for those of us here today, Lord, that are dry and weary, who are going through the motions, Holy Spirit, turn our hearts to you right now. Speak deep within our core. Jesus, may we hear the knock upon the door. May we hear that knock. May we let you in. Jesus, open our ears to hear your voice. Open our eyes to see you. And change our hearts, whatever pattern we're in of avoidance or busyness or sin or brokenness, Lord. Right now, turn our hearts to you, Lord. Consume our thoughts. Overwhelm us with your love. And today, may we take a step to say, Lord, I'm done with pursuing the own things. It's time to get back on to pursue you. And may we begin today and make time with you a priority. Not just in the mornings, but throughout the day to engage with the God of the universe. And if you go onto our website under sermon resources, there's discussion questions for our small groups and individuals to do. And at the bottom, I put two meditative practices for this week. If God's stirring within your heart, go there, download it. And this week, a few times, go through it. One's going through Psalm 73, another through Psalm 42. And walk through that process, just engaging with God. And asking him to open up your heart to his reality and his presence. Amen.